0: want to just uh, reiterate the announcement uh, that was made before the service. Today's a little bit different day in Little Sprouts. Uh, they're watching uh, the star today. So um, if you are eight or under and you want to participate in that, you are more than welcome to. Unfortunately, no adult adults will be admitted. Uh, we've already had a couple people try, had to cut them off at the pass. This morning, I wanted to uh, just say something about one of our announcements just to give a little more clarity as to what the intent is. Um, So it's been a really cool last month or so, um, just even uh, getting to work through some things as an eldership team and talking through next year and some of just hopes and dreams and convictions. And uh, when you take part in a church plant, one of the interesting things you get to experience is much like when you watch a young child grow in those early years, just every year, something's a little bit different. They they were crawling, but now they're walking pretty good. And then the next year, they're not only walking, but they're not falling down all the time. And it's really cool to see. And a church plant's not that much different than that. Um, and this next year, uh, we feel convicted just about a couple key ways we kind of want to not change, but mature in things that we've already been doing. And uh, we got to have like a really great elder retreat uh, recently and I got to spend some time with some pastors that I'm in a coaching cohort with and just kind of reiterated a couple of these things that since this is our last time meeting this year, I just kind of want to give you a heads up on. Uh, In 2022, one of the two of the ways we want to grow um, is in regards to uh, maturing in our leadership and also maturing in our membership. Um, So as we start the new year, we're going to be teaching about and talking about both of those things. From a leadership point of view, uh, we want to, in 22, roll out the deacon ministry. Um, at the beginning of the year, sometime in kind of the first half of 2022, uh, we're going to be bringing forth some deacons, and we're going to be talking to you about what that means, uh, what, it, what it means to have, you know, that, like that's a really essential role in the church that we want to explain and, and bring forth. And then from a membership standpoint, we we we've had covenant membership for a few years but we want to begin to just kind of slowly start to put a little more weight onto that And so in the new year, um, there's going to be some things, some conversations that we have about the future of our church and things that are happening that we're just going to we're going to invite members only um, to take part in that discussion, not because we want to keep anybody out, but because we just we want to begin to put a little more weight into this thing that we feel convicted is is biblical and meaningful. And so because of that, before those things begin to happen, I want to just offer ample opportunity to explain and to meet and to talk through some of those things. And so that's what that, that's part of what that January 9th is about. If you're not a member of Rooted and you'd like to explore that, you think you might be interested um, in, in learning more or being a part of that, not only do we have a membership section on our website that kind of talks you through what we believe and how to, how to go through that process, but on January 9th, I want to meet, um, I'll get, bring donuts, and I'd love to just talk with you about what we believe about membership and answer any questions you have about our church. Additionally, one of my favorite things uh, when somebody is wrestling with something is to to give you a book that's something i do quite a bit um, this book is called rediscover church and it just talks about the essential uh, essential elements of the body of christ and it really it talks through about everything from why is preaching essential should i actually join a church and we really confirm and and line up well with this book if you're wrestling through membership Perhaps this would be a gift that would be helpful to you, and we have these available at the connection table. In addition to the breakfast on January 9th, sometime before the end of the month of January, I'd just love to meet with you, and maybe we could use this book as a springboard to kind of talk through how we view membership and the what and the why. So I just wanted to put all that out there. Um, We are hoping the last Sunday in January uh, to be able to introduce some new members to the body. We have a few people that have gone through that process we're going to bring forward in January. And we're hoping maybe there's some additional families that we get to add to that. So if you have any questions about that, um, I would love to take time and talk with you. And then lastly, along those same lines, the entire month of January, we're going to take kind of a pause between our, the Hebrew series and the end of Micah to just take the month of January to almost do like a membership class for the whole church. We're going to take each Sunday and kind of preach on and look at what the Bible has to say about some base, some of these basic elements. We're going to talk about membership. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about the sacraments. So make it a point, if you have questions, uh, want to know more about those things, to take, join us in January as we walk through them. This morning, though, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are going to... Uh, We're gonna dive in to the second half of chapter five in Micah, and before we do that, I wanna give you a brief history of where we've been in Micah, especially since the start of Advent. Last month, in November, we prepared our hearts for Advent by spending time in Micah one through three, and in Micah one through three, in a very heavy way, we were reminded of our status in front of the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. And then on the first Sunday of Advent, Luke elegantly preached on Micah 4, and during that sermon, we considered the implications of Micah 4, 7, where it says, then the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from this time on and forever. And then last week, Brandon faithfully handled the word from the beginning of Micah 5, and he read to us Micah 5, 2, which is perhaps one of the most famous verses in scripture, especially at Christmas time. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. In Micah 4, the Lord promises a redeemer, a perfect king. And then in Micah 5, he begins to bring some clarity as to who this perfect Savior King would be. He would be God himself, an eternal king from the blind of David, born to set the captives free. In this text, we see clearly the promise of the first advent. God himself will put on flesh, be born in a lowly town and redeem his people for God so loved the world that he would give his only son, this baby king, to live a perfect life and ultimately to die a brutal death so that for us, for God's people, there would no longer be condemnation but everlasting joy in the presence of Christ. Now, I want to draw your attention to chapter five, verse three. Within the first three verses of Micah five, we see redemptive history displayed almost in its entirety. And verse three serves as this kind of transitional text between the first advent and the second advent, which we're gonna talk about today. It says this in verse three, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. In this text, we see that for God's people, there's gonna be this time of waiting that follows the first advent. If you've ever, if you've been to the mall recently, we don't maybe do that as much as we used to, but maybe this time of year we do. You end up at that section in the middle of the aisle where it's got the map that shows like you are here. You look for that green dot that shows you where you're at and the timeline and the whole scheme of things. This verse right here, you are here. (laughs) This is where you rest in redemptive history that following the first advent, there's gonna be this time of waiting that requires faithfulness and dependence on Christ. And Brandon talked in detail about the struggles that God's people would face and that we are still facing as we wait. But verse four announces a second advent. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Verse four reveals that Jesus will return. Our good and faithful king will come to make all things new once and for all. And despite our particular view on when this will take place, the good news is the same. Verses 7 through 9 say this. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion amongst the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all of the enemies shall be cut off. Here, as Brandon alluded to last week, We see this kind of dual prophecy. We see that God was not only going to deliver his people from the immediate trials they would face, but that his greater deliverance would take place at his final return. And at that final return, he says, it'll be like dew from the Lord. This deliverance will not be a small deliverance, but God's promise to Abraham will be perfectly and finally fulfilled in the salvation of God's offspring. Like dew covers the field, so the people of God will cover the land at the return of Christ. And like a lion amongst beasts, like a young lion amongst lambs, among the enemies of God and his people... He will be like a lion in the midst of lowly beasts. It will be a stark contrast to humble baby Jesus in a manger. He will be like a lion amongst lesser foes that do not stand a chance. There will be nowhere to hide. Defeat will be inevitable for those who oppose the Lord on this day. Yet for those sheep that belong to the great shepherd, he will be gentle and dwell amongst us. He is both our triumphant king and our gracious, gentle friend. We will stand behind him and we will bask in his victory as his kingdom is established perfectly and for all of eternity. For your hand shall be lifted up and your enemies cut off, this text says. Our lives are filled with disappointment. And most of that disappointment is the result of being disappointed by mankind. Some have hoped in fathers who have turned away. Some have hoped in kings who know nothing of honor. Some have hoped in prophets whose prophecies have simply proved false. And some have hoped in shepherds who have lost their way. Yet, at the second advent, all of our disappointments will pale in comparison to our hope confirmed in Jesus Christ. All of the angst and grief of this life will be like a candle compared to the sun on that day. His hand shall be lifted up in victory and we will sing of his glory and all of his enemies will stand no more. Depression will be no more. Grief will be no more. War will be over and eternity will begin. When Christ returns, his people will be cured once and for all. One way we will be cured on that day as we will be cured from our false securities. Verses 10 and 11 says, And in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots. And I will cut cut off the cities of your land, and I will throw down all of your strongholds. As Americans, it's just part of our identity that we're kind of obsessed with security. It's kind of part of what we do. We've never experienced war on our own soil, but the television has shown us the scenes of those who have, time and time again, our entire lives. And because of this, in part, we have the biggest guns and the best security systems. That's part of just the cultural identity. And our Constitution was formed with the philosophy that we would be a people free to protect ourselves from enemies, both foreign and domestic. And as an American, I'm thankful for that freedom. But I'm also prone to be deceived by it. I am all for one taking seriously the task of protecting themselves and their family, as anyone should. But I must never forget, as I am prone to, where true security is found. Am I more prone to purchase a better firearm than to commit to regularly appealing to the Lord for his blessing upon myself and my family? Am I more concerned about protecting my children from bad guys than I am protecting them from the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word? Am I more prone to fret about the status of my IRA than I am about the status of my own soul? As those who desire security above all else, we, we, we should. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but we must constantly ask ourselves, where is our security ultimately found and it must be in christ in luke 25 christ himself addresses this tendency in the heart of man he says this and which of you being by being anxious could have a single hour to his lifespan if then you are not able to do something as small as that why are you anxious about the rest consider the lilies how they grow For all the nations of the world seek after these things and the father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things shall be added to you. And then verse 32, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Goliath did not fall because Mm -hmm. David was faithful or mighty. We kind of get the story wrong quite a bit. It really had nothing to do with David, but because God's will was for Goliath to fall. Because through him, through David, would become a better, perfect warrior who might be born to save all. Pharaoh and his army were swallowed up by the sea, not because Moses was faithful and had a magic wand, but because the Lord told the sea to part that his people might be spared and united to himself in Christ. You were saved not because you are good, but because it was the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, Christ says. No man can defend himself or anyone else perfectly, but God can. And one day, your security will be found solely in Jesus Christ, perfectly and forever. And on that day, we will also be cured of our false authorities. In verse 12, it says, And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, And you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. Micah writes in the midst of a Judah and Israel who had long neglected the word of God. The people had grown tired of waiting. That's the truth. The stories of old no longer felt relevant to those who were generationally removed from them happening. So they turned to fortune tellers. They turned to the council of demons. Like those before them who built an idol before Moses, could even get, before Moses could even get back down the mountain. The people of God turned so quickly to the world for answers that God had already given them. Because they were just tired of waiting. And how guilty is the church of God of this same thing today? We have so much more to hope in than the people of God did in Micah's day. We orient our calendar around this month, around the truth of God revealed in Christ. We follow in the footsteps of those who are not merely promised a savior, but who walked in the midst of a savior. Yet we are continually drawn to the fortune tellers of our day. We follow them on Instagram and we like their podcasts in hopes that they might provide answers that feel more relevant in the moment than the timeless truth of God that often feels so removed. And perhaps their answers are more socially acceptable in the world today than those which we have been offered. The truth is, we are all prone to drift towards these voices, yet, one day, the promise of the second advent is that will no longer be the case. At Advent, those of us who are weary of hoping, who are generationally removed from the life of Christ, we are reminded of our legacy of hope, our legacy of turning back to God and waiting with joy. For all of us, we need this reorientation because we are naturally prone to tire of waiting. For the womb for the voices that oppose God, for the voices that tell us of something different, though. Scripture promises that one day those voices, those, they will no longer be relevant. They'll be silenced once and for all at his return because we'll also be cured of our false worship. Verses 13 and 14. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands, and I will root out your Asherah images from among you, and I will destroy your cities. False authorities in our life inevitably lead us to worship those who are unworthy of our adoration, and this has always been the case. When a voice aside from Christ becomes a greater authority in my life than Christ and his word is, I will naturally begin to worship even if I would not call it that. And Israel and Judah, they had long struggled with this kind of idolatry really since the final days of King Solomon. Whether it was a lesser king or a hand-built God or in our case, a sports team or a job or a human who we just really think is really smart. The people of God have always been tempted and prone to give away our primary affections to another. Fellowship with Christ requires submission and humility. Walking with Jesus requires me to open his word, to hold it in high regard, and to die to my flesh daily putting to death my ways and acknowledging his ways as better and timeless as opposed to mine as momentary and fleeting. I have to repent of my sin each day and acknowledge my dependence on the Lord. And Christ knew that I needed this, and that's the essence of the Lord's prayer. It's Jesus telling the people of God, here's how you're to pray each day. And in it, we in the Lord's prayer, we see our dependence, our repentance, and our daily need for the sustenance that only Christ can provide. Because even when I do not understand the ways of God, I submit from a place of worship. When I don't understand his ways, I trust him in light of who he is and has always been. At the second advent, worship will be directed only towards the one who is worthy of it. God will no longer be patient in allowing his people to offer worship where it does not belong. He will receive the glory he is due, and we will no longer worship another in verse 15, our last verse today says, And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Today, people desire peace, and we seek to attain it through war, which historically is always temporary. Perfect peace cannot be attained in such a way. One day though, nation will no longer war against nation. The king of the world will stand in victory and we will know peace perfectly on that day. Government, culture, religion, nationalism, these have always been a source of false hope an identity for the people of God. Always, amongst every tribe, amongst every people, from all kinds of places, these things have always rose up. And at the second advent, We will be rescued from every false form of identity and our eyes will be opened to the false promises that they cannot fulfill. Because on that day, we will see all of God's holy promises fulfilled perfectly in King Jesus, the one whom we celebrate today and each and every day. At the first advent, Jesus came meek and mild a beautiful baby sent to be made low so that the lowly might be redeemed. But at the second advent, he will come in glory that we might be triumphant, standing beside him, that we might know eternal perfect peace once and for all. As we close this morning and we prepare to enter the week ahead, I'd ask you uh, just to consider for a moment: like, do you remember when uh, an- your anticipation for Christmas began to fade? Like I think all of us, we probably have a similar experience as a young child. There's just something incredibly magical about Christmas time. Even taking like even without a full view of Jesus, there's just something magical—the whole allure of it, the lights, the singing, the treats, the gifts. There's just something that can't be explained. Not to mention the appeal of Old Saint Nick himself. Yet as you grow, it seems that uh, the magic begins to lose its luster a little bit. You begin as you become an older kid, you begin to kind of peek behind the curtain and you see that this magic is not quite as magical as it appears. Plus, you begin to see that a lot of that magic uh, comes at a cost and all of a sudden you're holding the check for that cost. And I think that's a, that, then the, there's a real downward spiral for this magic. Like adulting does not help the magic of Christmas. Culturally, the church has always loved the Christmas story, as we should But we miss something significant. We lose a piece of that magic if we do not bask also in the story of the second advent. That the birth of King Jesus is is an an incredible truth. It's 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 a huge part of the gospel, but it's not the entirety. Like Jesus did not only come, but he will come again. And the reason we don't just do a Christmas thing, we want to make much of Advent is because that's, we're missing something if we don't miss that part, that this season of waiting, this is a season of acknowledging that we wait as a people who have an ultimate hope that the baby not only came, but he will come again triumphant and in glory that we might eternally know peace and joy forever and ever. Today, this week, Next Saturday, we not only celebrate the God who came, but we celebrate the one who is coming. We celebrate not as those who have no hope, but as those who come from a place of eternal hope, as those who have a heritage of hope as those who follow in the footsteps of people who struggled the same as we did for long stretches of time. Waiting was difficult, and in the midst of waiting, they were prone to all sorts of terrible things, yet God's faithfulness never, ever stopped. And one day will be brought to ultimate conclusion in Christ Jesus' return. Next Sunday, uh, we're not going to gather, and... Uh, I'll take a minute just to share a little bit about that. Um, There's probably different perspectives on that. We know that a huge number of you, um, because of just every, because of Christ, that Saturday, Sunday, you're going to be gone. People are going to be all over the country. And we want you to be able to do that and to go and to celebrate and to rest and to Sabbath. And we know that for some, that's going to, that's the best thing we could do is just push you towards that Sabbath to be with family wherever you are. For some of you, you might be, you might totally disagree with that decision. And I'll admit we've wrestled with it. For some of you, you might feel like being with the people of God is exactly where you need to be on that day. And for those, we encourage you go and do that. Like our community is filled with amazing gospel families. I would love to tell you about some of them. And maybe next Sunday is a day that for you, you just need to go and be reminded of this larger family that you're a part of. We hope you'll come back the next Sunday after. But if you need to be with God's people next Sunday, go and be with them. If you just need to be with your family celebrating Jesus, it's okay. And we want to offer you that too, wherever you might be. But wherever you find yourself next Sunday, This morning and this evening, my desire is to stoke in you an anticipation for the kingdom of God, because that's why that baby came. My prayer for you this week is that you would fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and he will. And because of that, we celebrate to the ends of the earth as a people who have hope in the midst of all trials and circumstances. Would you join me in praying to that end this morning? Lord, thank you for your goodness and graciousness. You are incredible. In your might, you are incredible in your humility. You are perfect. We cannot understand the depths of you, though we try. Your ways are so much better than our ways that it's incredibly challenging for us sometimes to, 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 to understand that. Our ways seem so tangible, but we, we don't see uh, the, the full spectrum of eternity. Lord we acknowledge that your sight is beyond uh, is beyond anything we can imagine, and thus your ways are perfect and good and ours are temporary and um, they are um, lord we're prone to just be reactive in the moment we're prone uh, to just see this small picture of the spectrum and lord i i I confess that uh, that i I'm prone to just uh, to look to my ways and not yours. And Lord, thank you that you're gracious to correct and you're, you're patient. Um, you're kind to us in the midst of this. But Lord, I ask, um, I ask this week, as we as we prepare for Christmas Day, um, Lord, I ask this week that you might turn our gaze fully to you. Lord, often um, I my... My failure to, um, to trust your ways and better, as better than mine um, tends to coincide with my failure to gaze upon you and your glory and goodness. Lord, I ask uh, this week that you might allow us to look to you, to bask upon you, to take part in the spiritual practice of gazing at you, And that through such things you might reorient our heart to trust you, not because we understand fully, but because we look to you and we know who you are. Might that be enough for us in all days and all seasons? Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bless us, that you would empower us to wait faithfully. Lord, for most of us, obviously, our life, uh, the, the, the span of our life, will most likely be pretty mundane um, as far as history is concerned. Um, we will never be known throughout the world. We will never have riches. Uh, we will never uh, have the influence that maybe we would like. Our, our lives will m- most likely, unless you deem otherwise, uh, consist of moment after moment of ordinary faithfulness. And Lord, I acknowledge We're we're not always good at that. Your your scripture tells us and warns us uh, that we come from a long line of those who do not know what to do with waiting, who do not know what to do with the call to ordinary faithfulness. But Lord, by the power of your word, through the gift of your spirit, might you empower us to do just that. To be faithful to the end. I love you, and Lord, I ask um, that this week, uh, this this final march to to through Advent, um, might be part of you doing that. That you might meet us um, this week in a in a private moment in a private space, and just remind us of who you are and who we are because of this. Help us to finish, and to finish well. That you might be glorified in all that we say and do. Help us, Lord, as a community, to aid one another to that end for your glory. I ask all of these things in the name of our good and triumphant King, King Jesus. Amen.